0: Hello, and thank you for joining me for this teaching from Pennington AG Church. We are beginning today a five-week series through the New Testament letter of James. James is five chapters. We'll be covering it in five weeks. So today we'll be doing one chapter, James chapter one, as well as introducing this letter, who wrote it, what the meaning is, and why it's important for us today. James is a New Testament letter written at the middle of the first century by James, the half-brother of Jesus, not to be confused with James, the brother of John, one of Jesus' disciples while he lived in Jerusalem. So who is James? First, as I said, he is a half-brother of Jesus. He is referred to in the New Testament several times. He's referred to as Jesus' brother in Mark chapter 6, verse 3. He appears as a leader in the early church in Acts 12, Acts 15, as well as the first two chapters of Galatians. Imagine how powerful and beautiful the divinity of Jesus had to be that his brother becomes one of the leaders of the church talking about his own brother being God and being king with authority. Imagine how captivating it must have been that you would dedicate the rest of your life to talk about your brother being God. Now, I don't have any brothers, I have sisters, but I can imagine in a family, dedicating your life talking about your brother being God would have to be a pretty convincing argument to get you there. James was a well-respected leader in the early church. In the early church, he was known for having wisdom and being a peacemaker. James also led the church through times of famine, poverty, division, and persecution, in the early church. James is one of the leaders who gave wisdom in Acts 15 over the division of circumcision, whether someone had to become Jewish fully in order to be a Christian. He's one of the leaders that said, no, we are brought together by Jesus alone, not by our cultural tradition. James is martyred in the mid to late first century, and most likely he was martyred shortly after he wrote this letter. In the history of the church, it is thought that he is martyred by being thrown off of the temple roof. So what is James about? James is a letter about wholehearted devotion to Jesus. That devotion is then lived out in wisdom. And James gives us 12 lessons on what that wisdom is and how it impacts our lives. That wisdom then births actions that affect the world around us. Famously, James is a letter that focuses on actions and works, so much so that the reformer Martin Luther wanted to take the book James out of the Bible. He thought it focused too much on works and not faith alone. But there is power in faith lived out through our actions. And as James writes, faith without works is dead. But think of it in reverse, that our faith works. Our faith has actions. Our faith produces change in this world. Our faith works in our lives, into our fears and anxieties and guilts and shames. Faith in Jesus works to restore us to wholeness. In a broken world with poverty, sickness, disease, and division, our faith in Jesus works to be agents of healing, peace, and change. So how do we read James, and where does James come from? A few tips in reading James that will give us some more structure to understand this letter. James' letter is five chapters long, and it's different from most of the other writings in the New Testament. He begins with an introduction, but it's not written like a Paul letter, a Pauline epistle. He's not writing to a specific church or people, and it's not a dialogue back and forth. He writes a overall message the church and it doesn't read very linear. In fact, the chapters don't even necessarily connect to each other. After chapter 1, it's 12 individual teachings of wisdom. Some are short one-sentence liners, some are short ideas about wisdom. He is inspired by, pretty obviously when you read the letter, the writings from the Old Testament, Proverbs chapters 1 through 9 specifically. In giving short pieces of wisdom about who God is and how we live that out in our life. More impactful, there's a heavy influence of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, specifically Matthew chapter 5 through 7. And so I'll give you an encouragement James is a short letter. Read all five chapters of James, then go back and read the three chapters of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7. You will see parallels and influences and overlaps as to what James is trying to teach us from the wisdom of Jesus. Finally, all throughout the letter is the overriding idea of the great commandment, Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40. I'll read it, but you may be familiar with it. Pharisees come to Jesus and they ask him, teacher, Which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. The short version many of us may be familiar with is love God and love others. As you read these five chapters and as we study them together, keep that as the overriding principle of what James is teaching us, what his wisdom is about, and what our actions produce. Love God and love others. How do we practically do that in our lives? As you study the book of James, I want to encourage you, go deeper. Go to the thebibleproject.org or go to YouTube, search Bible Project, watch their video on James, see their teaching on it, and deep dive into what God is speaking through the biblical book of James. But let's dive in ourselves, beginning in James chapter 1. Let's read it, verses 2 through 4. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Life's trials produce endurance and can make us perfect. The New Testament has an overriding theme of this idea. Our suffering can produce perfection or wholeness in our faith. Romans chapter 5 verses 3 through 4 talk about suffering producing character, character producing endurance, endurance producing hope. First Peter four 1 Peter 4.1 talks about the perseverance in suffering is what makes us holy or what reminds us that we are done with sin. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 in his Beatitudes sermon, blessed are those who are persecuted for theirs is the kingdom of God. In suffering, our beliefs are tested. What we believe about the world, what we believe about our destiny and our future is tested by suffering. When I'm praying through, a physical test of what my body is going through is a trial on what I believe. When I'm challenged as to who I am or what my opportunities are ahead of my life, my beliefs are tested. Testing does not come from God, first and foremost. If you have a question about that, continue reading this chapter. In verse 13, James literally says, Suffering does not come from God. God does not test you with suffering. Suffering is a product of a fallen world and fallen humans. And that suffering tests our beliefs. I firmly believe that the Christian faith should and does stand up to trials and criticism. I believe that the scriptures, the Bible, in its entirety, from Genesis to Revelation, stands up to criticism and trials. The author James writes this letter. He has watched his brother Jesus die. He led the church through poverty and famine. There is a large famine in the region that Israel is in, and the early church are living and giving away so many of their resources, sharing with each other, that when the famine hits... They, more than any other people, are suffering because they're living on less and now food is harder to come by. You can read this. Paul runs a missionary journey of relief to bring food to Jerusalem. You can read it in the letters of their struggle and trial through their suffering as they are hungry. James was thrown out of his own culture, removed from his people by his belief in Jesus, and he watched as his fellow Christians were murdered and killed for their faith and eventually He follows suit and is martyred himself. But on top of that, he is a leader in this early church movement. He is teaching others to believe what he believes about Jesus. He is teaching others to abandon their way of life and to step into a new reality in Jesus, knowing that he is calling these men and women to suffering and many of them even into death as a result. And as a leader myself, I can imagine the intense pressure and trial of, is this real? Is this worth it? Am I leading them to something that will lead to eternal life and hope? Or am I leading them to their own alienation, suffering, and death? This letter is James' wholehearted declaration that he believes in what he is teaching. He believes in what he has committed his life to. That faith and trust in Jesus can stand up to trial and suffering. He says, you will be perfect by this suffering. He uses this word perfect seven times in the letter. And perfect as James uses it and as we read it in the New Testament can maybe better be translated as whole. You will be whole we live a fractured life if you've lived like i have trying to live my own perfection and in my own values trying to be good enough and impress people wanting them to like me or love me wanting them to be impressed with my abilities you know that living that way often feels very fractured because i know i'm not complete enough i'm not good enough i'm not perfect enough And I'm constantly living a little shadow of a lie, hoping people don't look one level deeper and see that I'm not who I want them to think I am. I think a beautiful 20th century icon, Bilbo Baggins, says it well in talking about his life early in J.R.R. Tolkien's writings, The Lord of the Rings. Bilbo is given a ring. He actually finds it, steals it from a little troll man golem underneath a mountain. And that ring gives him supernatural long life. He lives much longer than another person would normally because of the power of that ring. But the ring is not good. The ring is evil, as we come to find in the story. And Bilbo speaks in the beginning of the story and saying, I know I look young, but I don't feel young. He says it like this to his friend Gandalf. I am old, Gandalf. I don't look it, but I am beginning to feel it in my heart of hearts. Well preserved indeed. Why I feel all thin, sort of stretched, if you know what I mean. Like butter that has been scraped over too much bread. That can't be right. I need a change or something. Many of us are living a life where we feel like butter spread too thin. I'm living a thin life. James says, lean into Jesus. Lean into the belief that he was God and lived an example of wholeness and mercy and love. Lean into the belief that he took your fractured life onto the cross and he died in your place and was buried in the grave so you would not have to and that he died because you have value and meaning and eternal promise in who you are. Lean into the truth that Jesus rose from the dead on the third day, that he conquered death and disease and illness and shame, and he lives forever in heaven and will call each of us to one day be resurrected in a whole restored world with no sickness and death. Lean into that truth of who Jesus was And is and will be. And He will bring wholeness into your life. Wisdom is not being smarter as we read this letter, but wisdom is about applying our faith in Jesus to our lives. To the brokenness of feeling stretched, we apply the fullness of Jesus to draw us back in to wholeness of being loved, valued, and redeemed in Him. Now James continues. James 1 verse 5. Now if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave on the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. Harsh words. Let's draw out the reality. He says, be sure that your faith is in God alone, and if you ask him to give you wisdom, he will do it. God gives wisdom to those who ask him for it. If you want peace and wholeness and to be reminded of who Jesus is in your life, simply ask God to guide you deeper into that understanding. Ask him to give you faith. Ask him to draw you into Jesus. Ask him to guide your steps and he will do it. The heart of this passage is about being teachable and remaining teachable before God who is shaping and growing us. There is no point in our Christian journey where we say, I got it now. Okay, now I'm good. I understand the scriptures. We talked this week and the staff even about the book of Romans, that it is like a pool of water endlessly deep. I can keep going deeper and still learn more about who Jesus is and how his death and resurrection has affected us and all of creation. The Apostle Paul writes a letter in Romans late in his life and says, I still am not living out all I know God to be. I'm still struggling and learning and asking questions. Too many of us as followers of Jesus are not teachable. I know this because I have a Facebook account and I see how we interact with each other. We believe that we are settled. I have it. The wisdom is there. I'm good. I know it. And what James says to us is continue to be teachable in God's presence. Ask him to continue to grow you. As the psalmist writes in Psalm 139, Invite God to search me, O Lord, and draw out what is of you and what is of this world. What is of you and what is of me and my selfish desires. This is the strong encouragement of James here, that it is faith in Jesus alone not Jesus plus my political party, not Jesus plus my worldview, not Jesus plus my wealth and achievements, Jesus alone. Any of those items on their own can be fine and helpful in life, but we find our hope and wisdom in the character, the death, the resurrection, and power of Jesus alone. James says, If you focus on Jesus and invite God to draw you deeper into him, it will heal your soul. It will bring wholeness to what is stretched. Continuing on, verse 9. Believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like a little flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all of their achievements. A running theme in James is that poverty can force us to trust God and our wealth can give us false security. And having said that, you may be thinking already about Jeff Bezos in a rocket shooting off into space, but I want to challenge you. If you are a Western Christian, you're watching this on your smartphone or on your smart TV, you already are one of the wealthiest people to ever live on this earth. We have great wealth and privilege in our lives. And that wealth and privilege can distract us from our need for Jesus and God's provision in our lives. Jesus says it in Luke 6:22. blessed are the poor. He doesn't even give us an out like Matthew and say poor in spirit. Luke says just poor, blessed are the poor because in their poverty, they know their need for their creator. Our suffering and poverty is a tool for spiritual growth. I must rely on God in this situation. I must lean into his presence and goodness. Our wealth makes us soft. That's a fact. When I have much, I don't need to try as hard. When I have much, I don't need to pray as hard. We must guard ourselves against the reliance on wealth, that our wealth is an indicator of our goodness, that our wealth is a means of our salvation. We must guard ourselves against our ability to numb ourselves with pleasure. That on my smartphone, I can stream a show whenever I want. I can never be in silence at all and have those thoughts rise up in my mind. That I can eat and drink and be merry and not think about the suffering of this world. That I can eat and drink and be merry and not wonder about my eternity or my future. We must guard against our ability to numb ourselves to others' suffering by our own pleasure and insulation having wealth we all have it we must fight to humble ourselves to work in the disciplines of tithing of giving away the first thing i do with my paycheck with my wealth is i give away 10 percent of it and i know that sounds crazy but i trust god to be able to provide for me with less and i trust that if i give god my first fruits if i give god the abundance of my life I will trust that he can teach me to live Unless, Continuing, James chapter 1 verse 12 now. This is a longer passage. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. This is that passage we referred to. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. That true word is Jesus. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. Our temptation and our suffering and our sin does not come from external circumstances. It often comes from ourselves, from me and my selfishness. I am made in God's image and there is goodness in me, but I am also fallen to my sin and there is temptation and hatred and pain in me. And so, to that, we lean into our understanding of who God is and we take a confident stand, James says, that our God is good. That I believe God is good and generous, not cruel and belittling. That God is good and gives me good things. And the best thing he has given us is his son, Christ Jesus. Our power to live a complete life, our power to say no to our own temptations, our power to confront the brokenness of this world is to be reborn in Jesus. That I submit my life to Jesus and am reborn in his image. That I model my life on Jesus and his character. And that I trust my future, my eternity, my life after death into his hands. And that my value comes from his loving kindness for me. James is writing to a suffering church and he is saying to them, you can stand on this good news. I am not teaching you of an idea to give you wisdom and a better life. I am teaching you about news that happened that God came to this earth and conquered sin and death because of his value in you. And if you stand on the life of Jesus, you will have eternal life now and forever. And what does this look like? How do we play this out through the rest of James? He closes James chapter one with this encouragement. We'll close here. In verse 19, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So get rid of all of the filth and evil in your lives, and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your soul. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, you walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. If you claim to be righteous but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself your religion is worthless. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. In short, James says to us, don't just listen to God's word, but do it. Don't just sit in a Sunday sermon, go out and live it. Don't just practice a devotional in the morning and then go live your life, live out of the truth of what we believe in Christ Jesus. Do what Jesus has called us to do. Live as Jesus Christ lived and live in the fullness of the wisdom or the complete life of knowing you are valued and have eternity set before you. As James is expanding on throughout this letter, love God and love others, Matthew 22. Throughout we will see that God calls us to do three things. Speak with love. Speak lovingly and encouraging to others. We need a lot of that in our current American culture that we live in. Speak with love to each other. I will expand on this because James didn't understand 2,000 years in the future. Speak with love. Also, type with love. Use your thumbs with love. Use your fingers with love. Love others with your words and be thoughtful in how you express and care for others. Second, serve the poor. Live your life as an expression of caring for God's image bearers on this earth. Use your wealth and humble yourself to care for others who have less than you. Jesus Christ came and lived among the poor. Jesus Christ was born in a nativity, in an outside barn, and worshipped by shepherds in the fields. Care for the poor that God has given all around us. If you want a practical expression of that, I encourage you to check out what we at Pennington AG Church are doing through Kingdom Build and look at where we are taking our resources and giving them back for others and being the hands and feet of Jesus. Every month, we have a physical activity to use, literally, our hands and feet to serve the poor around us through Mercer Street Friends and Homefront and other partners like Task, Using our hands and feet to serve the vulnerable who are in need and who need freedom. Put our work into action. And then third and finally, to be wholly devoted to God. To live that life of perfection, James says, or wholeness, which brings us peace. You may be living in a lot of anxiety and fear right now, and I encourage you to go back to why we believe what we believe, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. God's goodness expressed to us by his perfect son, Jesus, his mercy and love, and lean into Jesus. If you struggle with it, ask God, pray a simple prayer and say, help me to know you better. Help me to love you more. Draw me in to your presence. As we read this letter, as we study these five chapters, we are going to be taking our faith and putting confidence into standing on it to live out a life full of love and full of Jesus. You may be watching this today and you may not have a relationship with Jesus and I wanna give you an opportunity to begin that journey, to take one step forward today and invite Jesus into your life. If you're already a follower of Jesus, I encourage you to recommit in this moment and remind yourself of what it is we believe in, what our confident faith stands on in Christ Jesus. Pray this with me. Jesus, in this moment, I want to commit my life to follow you. That Jesus, I believe that you lived on this earth fully God and fully man. That you lived a life of love, care, and power. And that Jesus, you took my sin, my shame, onto your own body on the cross. And you took my burdens of sin and you died in my place. That you were buried in the ground And on the third day, you rose from the grave, full of life, resurrected and full of power and eternity. And that Jesus, by believing in you, I can have that resurrection and that eternal life and fullness of life, that wholeness in this life now. Jesus, you gave all of yourself to me. Today, I commit my whole self to you. And may you heal me. May I receive your peace and be reminded of the confidence of standing on your character and your resurrection. I pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. If you prayed that for the first time, I just encourage you, click one of the links around this video. We would love to celebrate with you and walk you further in your journey of following Jesus. Thank you for joining me for this teaching from Pennington AG Church.